You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And as always, we do thank you for listening, and we appreciate you listening. And uh, glad to have you with us this morning, and or this afternoon, I should say. Sorry about that. I'm still working on the time change, I guess. I can't figure out whether I'm coming or going, but... Anyway, I'm doing something, and uh, we have our host on the line, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And, uh, Phil, how are you doing today? I'm well, David. How about you? Well, I, I can't complain as long as I'm stepping on the grass and it's not stomping on me. I'm fine. You know, yeah, you you know that feeling? Anyway, we always start our show off. This is remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, we start our show off by remembering everybody, all of our veterans that have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice and are on duty now. And this also goes for our first responders that we have across the United States that we're so thankful for. So we give a... a moment of silent prayer and then we'll be back to you and uh, we'll start the show the other things that we do with our veteran shows we always like to get started get those hearts pumping and make sure everybody's up and going <coughs> excuse me and if we had that last half mile to run what would we ask for And there we go. Our hearts are pumping and we're ready to go. And we've got our host on, Philip Forsberg. And uh, Phil has already committed to saying that he feels okay today, which is good. And, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, Phil, is that the I guess when you go into the military, one of the first things that they teach you is... Uh, Buddyism, and uh, that may not be a word, but that's okay if I make them up, buddyism. Uh, but they teach you, you know, how important your buddy is, and uh, take care of your buddy. And if he's in front of you, you've got his back. If he's to your side, you've got him on that side. No matter what the situation is, you've got your, you've got your buddy's back. And... Uh, I think this is one of the best lessons learned throughout the military, and I assume it's even like uh, you say, well, how do you do that in the Air Force? Well, when uh, they go after someone or someone, if they're in a firefight or whatever, uh, they still have their backs, and I would 
assume you'd concur with that, that uh, no matter what the situation is, whether it's Marines or Navy or whatever, you got your buddies back. And this starts, in my opinion, from the top down. And we expect our federal government, our representatives, the people that we pay in Congress to have our backs. And I'm not sure today that Congress understands that. The one thing I am anxious about tomorrow, everybody's wondering, well, how will the election turn out? Will it be a red tsunami or this or that or whatever? I really, the biggest thing I care about is the fact that we've got a number of veterans running for political office, and I'd like to see every one of them win. We need to get veterans back into Congress that have been there, done that, and know what our soldiers, our pilots, our everything needs in the field. So that's my opening statement. Uh, Phil, you want to uh, tear it down? Well, uh, I do appreciate those who have served. Uh, makes me more predisposed to vote for them. Uh, you know, uh, leadership starts with uh, learning to do. Right? If you want to, you want to be the leader, then you have to have a proven track record of having followed and and having borne the hardships. And uh, in a military service is an excellent uh, an excellent example of that. I, I will tell you, I hear polls and things going on uh, about what's the most important issue to you today. Is it the ability to murder your unborn child or is it inflation or is it Ukraine or gas prices or the border. And um, I think we're missing the boat here because uh, to me, the number one issue is our national security and uh, has nothing to do with climate change, has nothing to do with abortion, um, but has everything to do with our uh, adversaries, uh, nations that would uh, would uh, seek to do us harm. And uh, I think uh, our leadership's asleep at the switch right now. And, and uh, unfortunately, I think that'll be borne out soon. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, you're like you you let off that statement by saying unfortunately and uh you couldn't have picked a better word. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um you know uh if if we're not if we're not gonna pay attention to national security then things are gonna go very poorly, I'm I'm afraid. And, you know, why is it that you and I recognize this, but the people a lot in Congress don't recognize it, and uh, uh, our main man doesn't recognize it, is he's added insult to injury now with his latest thing on oil. And, um, you know, I guess... They were saying that uh, 
the Republicans had taught the country a new word, inflation. Well, I I think uh, we've learned a, a new word, and it's called reserve. And with Biden going through our national oil reserve, makes us extremely vulnerable. And um, was was it you telling me or someone else telling me? Uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday that uh, they were watching something and that all of our Asian oil is basically in jet fuel, is in uh, Taiwan in one storage area. Had you heard that or were you aware of that? No, uh, I'm not. Um, But... uh it's never good to have all your eggs in one basket. I know that. Exactly. Um, and if and we know it... We call that a single point of failure. Well, like I said, uh, if we know it, then certainly our adversaries know it. And uh, this is one of the reasons that we tout how important Taiwan is. Well, one good hit in our storage tanks, and uh, we're not flying. Yeah, um, well, I would imagine that they uh, they have a security plan for that. Uh, but uh, as good as Afghanistan? Well, yeah, um, you bring up a good point. Um, when you you know you're up against folks who uh, who are willing to uh, do these things for their own uh, personal enlargement or enrichment. Um, not a good situation. So that uh, you know, if, uh, let's say, for instance, you're uh, taking money from a foreign country um, that has declared its uh, uh, adversary relationship with us, um, would make you a bad candidate for commander in chief. I. Since you were in the upper echelon, and I know nothing about it, where's the checks and balances? Uh, particularly, I ask this from a military standpoint. You know, I know we have the Joint Chiefs and all this, but where's the check and checks and balances? Well, you know, according to our Constitution, our, uh, our armed forces are a... Uh, servant of our executive branch. In mm-hmm. fact, the, uh, the president, it says in the Constitution, the president of the United States should be the commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy. Um, and so there's no uh, no commander-in-chief means uh, you don't really have to answer to anybody uh, below you. So uh, the only checks and balances, we you know, we have our, our uh, House and Senate, we have our Supreme Courts um, and the Constitution, but uh, folks aren't really uh, referring to that very much lately. Uh, I, I would say probably one of the greatest uh, threats to our republic uh, occurred in 1913 when they ratified the 17th Amendment and uh, brought about the direct election of senators 
And uh, prior to that, the senators had been appointed by the state legislatures. And, uh, the, the Senate was there to do the bidding of the states, and the House of Representatives was there to do the bidding of the people. And when they, <clears throat> if they could coalesce, then we would have a law. And if they didn't coalesce, we wouldn't have a law. And uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not all that thrilled about getting things done in Washington uh, if the things getting done are not helpful for our republic. And, it, you know, our Constitution says that the United States shall guarantee to every state a Republican form of government. And that's not a capital R, it's a small r, Republican, meaning our nation is a republic and we are not a democracy. And there's a lot of idiotic... Uh, things being thrown around these days about threat to democracy. We don't have a democracy, and our founding fathers were intent that we would not have a democracy, a pure democracy, because at its heart, a pure democracy is uh, mob rule. And uh, just because you can can, um, fool the people enough to get them to vote for you, um, you can if you have a pure democracy, then eventually you'll be taken over by tyrants. And, of course, I think that's the goal of many, is to crash our system uh, through demagoguery, which is uh, the manipulation of the masses. And uh, so uh, we need to stick to a Republican form of government that's guaranteed by our Constitution. And... Um, yeah, and it, when, whenever somebody tells you it's about a threat to democracy, just tell them plain and clear, we, we don't have a democracy and we're not supposed to have a democracy. We have a republic with aspects of democracy, with democratic aspects to it. But there are, like you mentioned, checks and balances. are supposed to be checks and balances on that democracy business because it's... Uh, it can be very, very harmful to our nation, and if it hasn't been apparent in the past, it should be apparent right now. And, you know, <laughs> what you just said, and and I knew that we have a republic. It's not a democracy, and uh, like you said, if it was a democracy, it'd be... Uh, it'd be <laughs> who could buy off who the, the fastest, and uh, democracies because of the way people are, will not work. And uh, our founding fathers, I think, did such a wonderful job of the Constitution. And, you know, I've, I've never seen T's crossed and I's dotted so perfectly as our Constitution. And it's not a perfect document, but it's very close to it. And I would, you know, it would be interesting to me to give our teachers, and this is from the first grade to the twelfth grade, and possibly going into college, a test on the Constitution. And I think it, I'd, <laughs> this sounds crazy, but I'd even like to see our Congress tested annually on the Constitution, which sounds a bit far-fetched. But they're the the rulers of they they're the ones that own the book at the time, while they're in, and you know they every vote that a representative or senator takes or makes 
should be based on the Constitution, and and they should be able to explain it in so many terms. Yeah, well... I'll probably be uh, stoned as I walk out of the office today. No. Um, I don't think so. But uh, it's... Uh, yeah, the, you know, our, when our officers are commissioned, when our troops are enlisted, they swear an oath uh, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Not to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, like the current Speaker of the House likes to say. It's not the words. The words are support and defend. In other words, to uphold and to obey and to follow the Constitution as well as defend it. And, um, but so few people, and, and of course our, uh, our public officials at the, at the national level, when they take their oath, they take their oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And, um, I think you know, they need to recognize that they want to abrogate the Constitution, that they are, in fact, one of the enemies, domestic enemies, that they're taking that oath about. So if you're going to hire people who don't mind lying, then you're going to not be surprised when they swear an oath and don't intend to uh, hold And that's what we have today. Unfortunately, in many cases, we do. Um, you know, the thing about that makes your uh, soldiers and sailors and airmen and marines, uh, coast guardsmen, space cadets uh, different is that they uh, they swear the oath and then they uh, protect our Constitution with their lives and, uh, and our way of life. And so by being willing to go in harm's way, um, they validate the oath that they uh, swear. Of course, those uh, civilian members of our government who swear a similar oath, uh, you just have to wonder if they're serious about it or not, or if they're just being uh, purposely deceptive. And uh, once they get in, they'll have their way uh, turn things around. You know, how, and I respect you a great deal, and I've told you that many times over, that how would you change, how would you change this where there, you know, if a senator or a representative or anybody that has taken, I, I think there's such a responsibility when you raise your hand and take the oath of office, no matter whether you're enlisted or officer or House of Representatives or Senate or President or Vice President, wherever you are, there should be, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, solemn, Situation, and it should be. And if you break that oath, 
then judgment should be brought down against you. And it says that in the Constitution. It's just that we're unwilling, in most cases, to follow through on that. Well, of course, it's, uh, it's left to the people to uh, to enforce that. Uh, the, uh, so they, they have to, at election time, hold these people accountable for the actions that they've done uh, in government. And, uh, it's not your civic duty to vote. It's your civic duty to be informed. And then if you're informed, then by all means vote. But if you're not going to do the homework, uh, please don't vote. Well, we're, we're going to take a break and help folks uh, do their homework right quick. We'll be back with... Philip Forsberg and Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm right after this. Stacey Abrams wants to be our next governor, but listen to what she had to say about Georgia. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. We are the worst state in the country to live. We are the worst state in the country to live. Abrams will destroy Georgia with her socialist policies. Vote for Brian Kemp. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. On August 8, 2022, in violation of the Fourth Amendment, the FBI performed a most egregious search of a former president's home. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized. The Fourth Amendment originally enforced the notion that each man's home is his castle, secure from unreasonable searches and seizures of property by the government. We must take a stand, and take back our country. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're listening uh, to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm on America's Web Radio. And if you have a comment about the show or uh, would like to ask a question or ask a question of our host, uh, Philip Forsberg, just email gm at America's Web Radio. And, and this goes for any of our shows, be it the doctor show or, or on point with Victor or any of the shows. And, um, we also do a show on Thursday morning, a veterans place. And this is, we have experts on it, experts on PTSD. And there is, I don't want to say cure, but there is a remedy if you're not sleeping at night because of PTSD. You need to listen to this show, A Veteran's Place. And whether you have PTSD or a family member does or whatever the circumstance, be it that uh, you were a first responder, whatever, listen at 10 a.m. on Thursday mornings and uh, don't hesitate to send in your questions and we'll be glad to have our doctors answer them. And... Uh, might not be on the next show, but it will, your questions will be answered. And the same thing about uh, remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. If you have a question for 
Lieutenant Colonel retired Philip Forsberg and his tour of duty in the Middle East. Uh, don't hesitate to write us. You can just send it to GM at America's Web Radio, and we'll be sure that he gets it, and we'll address the question on the next show. And we'd love to hear from you. We have uh, It's a very interesting audience because we literally have folks listening to our podcast, the replays of the shows, from all around the world. We have a, a great audience in Australia and uh, a good audience in the U.K. and Canada, as well as across the country in the United States. And what's fun is that Victor Armanderas, that uh, does On Point with Victor, he also fills in for Eric Erickson on WSB here in Atlanta. And uh, Eric is syndicated across the country and has quite a listenership. And because of that, we're very fortunate. And uh, it's uh, we've had a lot of people tune in to us because of Victor. And we always want to thank Victor for what he's done and uh, look forward to his show. It'll be tomorrow, as a matter of fact, Tuesdays at 1 o'clock, On Point with Victor. So, back to remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Um, you know, Phil, I, we're going into, I know for me personally, it's a tough time of the year. Uh, how did you feel about it when you were deployed going into Thanksgiving and uh, then Christmas. Phil, have I lost you? Sorry, Dave. That's all right. Uh, I'm here. Uh, yeah, the, the year prior to uh, uh, 1990, 1989, I was, uh, I was in Honduras, for that uh, whole year, so I missed uh, Thanksgiving uh, with my wife. We had no children then, uh, and so, uh, and then uh, in 1990, uh, both Thanksgiving and Christmas were spent uh, in the desert, and you know it was it was kind of a difficult time because, of course, we didn't know for sure that we were there, you know, for combat. Uh, all the signs were there, but, if you, you know, if you recall at the time, uh, up into uh, December, we just didn't know uh, what was going on. Uh, if we, if diplomacy would get us out of there or if uh, we would uh, actually come to busting caps, as they say, uh, which eventually we did. But... Uh, so I had some troops um, because the imagery from our uh, aircraft that we were using to collect uh, was downloaded or downlinked rather to uh, these ground station terminals. Um, we had uh, I had some of my soldiers uh, embedded with uh, certain uh, divisions, the 101st and the. Uh, 24th Infantry Division and the 18th Airborne Corps uh, Operations Center forward. And so uh, I spent uh, Christmas basically in a bad sandstorm uh, mm-hmm. driving out to bring mail and check on my troops 
at these uh, various divisions. And um, so uh, it, it was, uh, you know, there was just too much to do. Now, President Bush, J George H.W. Bush, he, he came to visit the troops uh, for Thanksgiving, and I sent a couple of my soldiers uh, that direction. I was directed to select two soldiers to go uh, have Thanksgiving with the president, and uh, of course they were probably in a sea of uh, enlisted soldiers that had been sent to go have dinner with the president, so uh, didn't really uh, get to know. Uh, I mean, they, they didn't sit next to him at, at Thanksgiving, but they did hear him speak. But, we, you know, we, I guess we were just too busy, really, to be melancholy about the holidays. Uh, just, you know, every day there, we, we were probably 16 hours a day um, just putting things together. And now another thing that happened in December of 1990 that uh, may have escaped folks, we, everything was sort of in the western part of Saudi Arabia, uh, around the city of uh, Dammam and Dahran, uh, Saudi Arabia, along that uh, the Gulf Coast, which uh, a lot of people call the Persian Gulf, uh, but in Arabia they call it the Arabian Gulf. Um, and so 18th Airborne Corps headquarters was there, and our unit was supporting 18th Corps, and so we were... Uh, uh, we were there in Dammam at the uh, King Fahd International Airport, but uh, something happened suddenly in uh, in December. The whole uh, 18th Airborne Corps uh, picked up and shifted dramatically uh, to the east, northeast, along the border. And when the hostilities started, the uh, 18th Corps uh, was sort of the fast-moving uh, wheel that pivoted in a uh, clockwise motion around uh, Kuwait City, basically, uh, and so they uh, they so they were the far um, I guess they were the western uh, folks. Uh, everybody was in the east, and we just kind of uh, the whole thing turned with 18th Corps to the far the eastern extremity and then uh, the 7th uh, U.S. Corps and then uh, a coalition of uh, Arabian forces and then the, the Marines went up the coast. Uh, they were sort of the center of the pivot. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so all that, that big dramatic shift of taking a whole corps with three divisions and launching them way out uh you know, about three, four hundred miles to to the uh, east and north was uh, was a dramatic shift that happened uh, in late December, right, right about Christmas time, actually. And uh, so that was part of a, actually a very quite brilliant plan that uh, that really encircled uh, the Iraqi forces. Uh, you know, once uh, once they defied our instructions to leave Kuwait, uh, we didn't respect their international border with Saudi Arabia either. So we just uh, plowed right in you know, to Iraqi territory. 
uh, I'm just curious, and I don't know whether you came across any of this or not, but uh, everybody knows about the 101st Airborne and the 82nd Airborne. And uh, was there any, were they, were they both in theater? And I know the 101st was, I believe. But uh, was there any external competition between any of the I know you have to be competitive to jump out of a plane or crazy and uh, you know the 101st will say they're the only ones and the 82nd will say they're the only ones that can get the job done but did you see any was there any uh, friendly competition between <laughs> well no there really wasn't any time for that I mean I think uh, a lot of that kind of takes place at the officers club or NCO club afterwards kind of, uh, uh, well I won't use the term for it but they, uh, they that's uh, kind of braggadocia that goes on uh, after the fact Just, uh, you know everybody had their job to do and uh, of course the 82nd was the first ones in theater uh, on August the 2nd of 1990 Saddam invaded Kuwait and uh, probably within 48 hours the 82nd Airborne Division was on the ground in Saudi Arabia uh, basically as a marker to say you don't, you don't come any further, you don't come into Saudi Arabia and of course we, we were not only uh, welcomed but invited by the King of Saudi Arabia to come do that operation um, <clears throat> the 101st came in the, you know the 82nd is very light uh and then the, the 101st um, is also light, but they're very, very, uh, they're air mobile and they have the helicopter, a lot of, they have two brigades of aviation in that, in that division. It, it tell, tell people what you mean by light. Well, they don't have tanks. They don't have tanks. <laughs> and, uh, and their infantry kind of walks into battle. Um, or go, you know, pretty much on you know, on trucks, I guess, on the ground, but uh, you know, the, the lighter you are, the, the easier it is to put you in place, and so that's sort of the function of, of the 82nd, is to be able to get out there and, and be in place uh, quickly, and uh, but now the 101st with all their aircraft, and they, of course, borrowed some aircraft for this purpose, but, you know, that when the when the ground war started, the the, um, the 101st put 100 Chinook helicopters in the air. They weren't all organic to the division, but you know, um, 100 Chinooks can carry an awful lot of something. Carry an external load of about 16,000 pounds, I think, if my memory serves correctly. So they um, <clears throat> they. And of course, the Black Hawks and, uh, and other, uh, attack aircraft and scout aircraft of the, of the 101st, they put the whole, uh, division, uh, about, uh, well, somewhere around 100 to 120 kilometers behind the enemy line, uh, overnight. Wow. Um, so, uh, <laughs> if you have a, if you have a whole division in your, in your rear air, you, you've got genuine problems. <laughs> now, did they take the striker in with them? I don't believe the striker was in use at that time. We we had, uh, and I don't think they to this day. I don't think they have the striker in in the hundred and first. The uh, 
but uh, of course, so I mentioned uh, the three main divisions of the 18th Airborne Corps was the 82nd Airborne Division, which is light, and they would jump in, and then the 101st, which is air assault, and they're you know air mobile, air kind of helicopter centric, and then uh, to give some real. Uh, uh, to put the horseshoe in the boxing glove, they have, uh, at the time they had the 24th Infantry Division, uh, uh, which is a storage division that fought in the Pacific in World War II and invaded the Philippines and, uh, did, did a lot of, uh, heroic things there. But, um, the 24th was a, uh, was a mechanized infantry division and they had some number of, uh, M1 Tanks in, in armor battalions, and they had uh, the uh, M2 uh, Bradley infantry fighting vehicle, and so uh, <clears throat> they had a lot more firepower and uh, speed and mobility. Um, so, you know, I mean, look, it's a mix, right? I mean, you can't, you can't, the army can't say, oh, you know, we did the whole thing when the, you know, when the <laughs> navy did plenty. Oh, oh, they can say it. It might not be true, but they can say it. Yeah, I, I guess nothing stops them from saying it. But, you know, it's a team effort, you know, and then, of course, the, the Air Force, you know, and, you know, in friendly rivalry, these folks will, you know, minimize each other's contribution. But in reality, you know, it was a, it was a great team effort. And as I've said before, it's a, really the last time we've had uh, true, uh, you know, uh, force on force uh, battle uh, since then um, you know kind of uh, similar to what we had uh, going across Europe in World War II uh, you know I mean we always uh, would study uh, operations and we'd have these plans and we'd fight these war battles these uh, these war games on paper and uh, you know, we would draw these uh, divisional lines and core lines, and uh, there'd be a defined uh, forward line of, of our own troops. And uh, but you know, of course, since then there's been a lot of uh, uh, mopping up kind of thing, and counterinsurgency. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I guess we went in pretty quick in uh, in Iraq in uh, 2003 uh, but I don't think they really had uh, you know uh, troops arrayed for combat I think it was more um, uh, disjointed than that but uh, this was this was truly force on force in, uh, in Desert Storm and uh, and we did pretty good I'd say <laughs> Uh, hundred hours, and we've uh, wrestled them to the point where they. Um, I can still remember watching. We had CNN on a TV in our in our operations center. Uh, we we were able to watch. Uh, they had a tent uh, out there in Iraq where um, General Schwarzkopf brought in the uh, Iraqi generals to basically sign the uh, instruments of uh, non-aggression and. The, Say that they weren't going to fight anymore and get the hell out of uh, Kuwait, uh, and it was it was interesting because you know all around this tent was surrounded with Bradleys and Abrams and Apaches, and, uh, <laughs> you know, just so they could 
you know, have a little sampling of our firepower as they walked in there, uh, to, you know, to sign the, basically, instrument of surrender. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice touch, you know, make sure you understand you have been bested. And, um, Do you think, and we sort of got our first real, real dose of it, and we and we're continuing to get it, as a matter of fact, with the IEDs. Uh, you know, did and in Vietnam we sort of answered the that with the uh, Claymore mines, sort of, but have did we answer? The as our men and women were being wounded with the uh, IEDs, did did we have an answer to it other than putting uh, plates under steel plates under our Humvees and and uh, doing some dragging of the roads to identify them or to see if we could set them off? Yeah. But we. Uh you know, uh, of course, during Desert Storm, we didn't really experience these uh, kind of uh, improvised explosive device because uh, we were just moving too fast and, and too far uh, into the, to the enemy's rear uh, for them to, you know, uh, set up IEDs for us. We, uh, we just, anything that looked dangerous or whatever, we would just blow it up keep moving um, and the uh, you know our troops like for instance we had a bunker that uh, the engineers I have this is a story I've told the engineers from the uh, 1st Cavalry Division uh, came up on a, on a bunker and it was sort of a situation where the folks inside were you know Iraqi uh, forces and they were sort of doing the, sort of like a corregidor thing, come in and get us, uh, you know, and we'll fight in this, uh, bunker. The, uh, the folks from the, uh, from the engineers, the, uh, 1st Cavalry Division just, uh, came up, had a, a, a linguist in Arabic, uh, make on a bullhorn and announcement into the bunker. You know, if you got 20 minutes to come out and surrender, and, uh, if not, you're all going to perish. And uh, they didn't come out, so they just uh, rolled the bulldozers over them and gave them a mass burial there. Mm. We weren't going to go in, you know, and lose our troops. There's, I mean, it just didn't make any sense. So, uh, and then, of course, there were the... <laughs> the... Uh, Iraq had uh, two or three divisions of uh, what they call the Republican Guards. They were the ones that were supposed to make us uh, so afraid. And uh, they had the uh, Soviet T-72 tanks. And uh, so we were supposed to be afraid of those or something. But uh, in reality, uh, Saddam kept them basically as far away as he could because he wanted to preserve these T-72s and uh the guys uh, from the 24th Infantry Division set up on the road from uh, 
they were told, you know, don't cross the highway from uh, uh, Basra to uh, to uh, Baghdad. And so they set up uh, right along that road. And, of course, the Republican bar- guards, they, they had loaded all of their uh, P-72 tanks onto uh, low-boy tractor trailers drive them back to uh, Baghdad and uh, so without the hostilities were still going on and so they were at their limit of advance but as the uh, as the Iraqis drove their trucks uh, with their tanks on the backs of them uh, I'm told that a number of our uh, M1 Abrams from the uh, 24th Infantry Division uh, put a few holes in them with uh, 105 <laughs> millimeter smooth bore rounds and uh, I had heard later uh, that uh, some folks were trying to uh, say that General McCaffrey, Barry McCaffrey, who was the division commander, stood trial for war crimes for that, but uh, <laughs> nothing came of it. Phil, being the historian that you are, and just like what you were saying about uh, the general's surrendering to uh, Schwarzkopf and so forth. You know, as I look back in history, and I'm certainly not the historian that you are, but uh, the United States has gained favor and won wars because of our enemies not appreciating who and what we are and what we have and our ability to fight, our ability to <clears throat> like during World War II, to gin up and get aircrafts in the air, uh, to turn car factories into airplane factories, to, you know, we've been underestimated in, I, I can't say in all of our wars, but generally speaking, would you say it's a fair statement to say most countries underestimate us? Or did? Uh, <laughs> I should say did. Let me put that in parentheses. <laughs> Well, I mean, they have in the past. Um, you know, it, it makes you wonder why why Japan would do what they did in, in the Second World War. But you know, they're based basing things on information from their perspective. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it's you know, my grandfather's regiment from uh, from the uh, First World War. Uh, their their motto is. Latin and basically says virtue, not words. Um, in other words, it's what you do, it's not what you say, right? And so, um, you know, we we've proven what we can do in the past, and I think it's incumbent on us to continue to maintain that capability. My uh, my neighbor across the street. Was, uh, Showing me his uh, father-in-law's uh, uh, 45 caliber uh, Army combat pistol, the, uh, the M1911 that he had, uh, was given after his service in uh, the uh, Second World War, and uh, it was apparently made uh, in 1917. Uh, it was made by Remington Rand. Uh, Actually, uh, you probably remember um, <clears throat> David back in the old days. The Remington made typewriters, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
but you know, for wartime, they can uh, they can be uh, tooled up, and uh, you know, Ford Motor Company built airplanes, and uh, you know, now of course that was a national mobilization. Um, so, don't know. Uh, and then there was Rosie. Yeah, Rosie the Riveter. Right? <laughs> uh, well, you know, the young ladies, you know, uh, like to have the young men. There's not going to be any young men around. Well, maybe you go, maybe if they go rivet some airplanes together or, you know, build uh, howitzers or whatever, send them out, maybe they can get their men back. And I think uh, that was a, a lot of their motivation. Well, you know, this is, I, I don't, I can't address what you do. I, I know what I do. I go crazy when anybody knocks our country because we have proven and we are the, we're still, in spite of some things today, we're still the greatest country in the world and the greatest country in history. And we've, you know, we dedicate this show to, our veterans, and that extends to our first responders. And I've said our our country is the country of first response. We're there when we're there before anybody else is, and we bring the humanitarian needs to light. And uh, we're we're just the greatest country in the world. There's, there's never been, and I don't think there ever will be another country like. The United States, and uh, I want to get on my soapbox for two seconds and just remind everybody: get out and vote, and know who you're voting for. Don't just vote because they have a D or an R by the name. Vote because they are the best candidate to hold that position, and that goes straight across the board. It goes from the bottom to the top, and from the top down. And tomorrow, um, we've got to make a prediction come true. And we've got to make some changes in this country. And so we're encouraging everybody. If you haven't voted already, which I have, uh, if you haven't voted already, get out tomorrow and vote. The weather in this area should be good. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some bad weather up north a little bit, but... You know, you waited, so you pay the price. But get out and vote. My two cents. Uh, yeah, I, I want people to vote. Uh, I know uh, I've already voted. Uh, I know that uh, a Georgia icon by the name of Vince Dooley made a... Uh, made a, a political endorsement for uh, Herschel Walker, one of his former players. Um, and since, unfortunately, since uh, he made that, uh, Vince has passed on at the age of 100. And uh, our prayers for his family in their mourning. Uh, but apparently now, uh, for the rest of eternity, I think Vince Dooley's probably going to be voting Democrat. Hmm. Might have, might have voted Democrat a couple of times since he passed away. 
<laughs> Interesting. Well, we have choice, and uh, when you go in the voting booth or whatever you, whatever the situation might be, uh, that choice is yours to make, and your conscience needs to be there with you. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. And, uh, uh, we have to make some changes, folks. We have to. And this goes for, uh, just like Phil said earlier on in the show, uh, the changes that we need to make are we have to get our military up to the place that it was. Uh, what the old saying, the best offense is a good defense. And uh, we have to let the world know how strong we are, both in equipment and in personnel. And we got a long ways to go in personnel. But that's as important as any piece of equipment and knowing what those people stand for and what they're willing to do to protect our republic. I agree. Well, if you didn't, I was going to cut you off. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) No, I just, I, you know, this is, and I'm older than you are, and, you know, I still, and I voted early, which I normally don't necessarily do, but I did this time because I've gotten where I don't like to stand in line for anything particularly, but... I still, even this time voting early, I get, I get a warm feeling all over because I'm so excited about voting and it's, and it's a privilege to be able to go and express yourself and, and, uh, I'm proud to say I've voted. I've already voted. I've got my little sticker with me in my Levi pocket and, uh, you know, I from the first time I ever voted, I always just have this warm feeling of that I'm doing my part. And people have to understand that that's what the United States is all about, is doing your part, and your part is voting. And we have the biggest stick in town called the vote. And if somebody doesn't deserve and hadn't, doesn't appreciate the voter, then we've got to get rid of them and get somebody in that will. And uh, I, uh, I haven't meant to be on the on the soapbox as much as I have, but uh, it, it's so important. If you haven't voted, vote on your way home this afternoon, or get up early and go vote. The polls open, I believe, at seven in the morning, and uh, go vote. And let's change things and take back our country and take back our republic. And we're not going to do what the president says and give up our democracy or our republic, Mr. President. Um, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to win. And, uh, 
Um, huh. I just got I just got a message. Uh, I don't know what that, you know, does it bother you when Microsoft comes into your computer and updates it without saying that they're going to do it or, or, uh, yeah. Do you feel like you've been extorted or that I, I hate that. And here I am in the middle of a show and I get a message and, uh, anyway. We're going to have to wrap it up, I'm afraid, Phil. It's uh, As right. always, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yep, Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, you're, you're our resident historian, and I, like I say all the time, after every show I mention this, I always learn something from listening to you. And uh, is there a chance you might be my great-great-grandfather? Unlikely. Okay. Uh, I will say this though. Uh, just one last thing, please, please, if you're informed and you know what you're doing, go out and vote. And uh, and if you've already voted or after you vote uh, or even before you vote, uh, it'll be a good time to get down on your knees and ask a prayer of our heavenly Father for our nation. Amen. I. I... I wish I had thought of that, but you're the man. Phil, thank you, and go out and vote, folks, and we'll see you next week on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.